Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 50, an interview with Dr. Stanley Schmidt. Now, there have been two editors who have had an enormously important impact in my life, and actually I would say in the world as well, not just because of what they did with my work, but because of what they've done with countless science fiction writers. One is Dr. David Hartwell, who has been my editor at Tor Books and therefore is responsible for all of my novels from The Silk Code, which was the first, through The Plot to Save Socrates, which is my current novel. But years before I was published as a novelist, I was published as a short story writer. This goes back to the early 1990s in Analog Magazine. And truthfully, it was my publication in Analog that really convinced me that there was some kind of market for my science fiction. I actually knew that already, but it's always good to have it ratified and confirmed. And the person who was editor of Analog Magazine back then, and in fact who has been editing Analog Magazine since the late 1970s, and is still the editor today, is Dr. Stanley Schmidt. So I was thrilled to have Stan consent to do an interview for Light On, Light Through. And you're going to hear that interview right now, so enjoy. Well, I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Stanley Schmidt, my good friend and longtime editor of Analog Magazine. Welcome to Light On, Light Through, Stan. Thank you. Glad to be here. Why don't we start by your giving our listeners a little rendition of the history of Analog, going back to the astounding days and how you came to edit it, and then we'll get into more exciting things such as how one can submit a story with a chance of perhaps being published in Analog. Okay. Uh, Analog actually started out in uh, January of 1930, uh, under the title Astounding Stories of Super Science. It's gone through several minor and one major title change since then. But uh, it has been published almost continuously through that whole, whole period, which makes it the oldest continuously published science fiction magazine that there is. We've been around for uh, something like 77 years and have uh, only had five editors in that time. I came here in 1978 uh, after Ben Bova. I had been writing uh, fiction for the magazine for 10 years before that and uh, wanted to keep it my kind of magazine. So uh, I think I've been doing that, and uh, I'm still having fun at it, and apparently the readers are too. Well, absolutely. You're doing a great job. It's it's sort of interesting uh, to hear science fiction being talked about as having been around for 77 years because you sort of think of science fiction as something brand new and about the future. But, of course, it does have a tradition. And Analog is generally known in the science fiction field as the magazine that's most true to the classical kind of science fiction while at the same time uh, being open to new kinds of ideas and new kinds of science fiction. Would you agree with that? 
Yes. Uh, I, I think the main thing that sets us apart is that uh, while science fiction has become a very broad field, uh, in many, one of the ways it's become broader is that in many places there's been less and less emphasis on the science part of it. Now, there's a common misconception that uh, analog is primarily interested in the science. This is never true. We're uh, very interested in what uh, scientific discoveries and uh, technological developments do to the lives of people. I like to think of analog as the magazine that uh, places equal emphasis on the word science and fiction. We want the author to put a lot of care into both of those aspects. Well, I would certainly agree with that from my own experience as an analog writer. I wouldn't say I'm an ignoramus when it comes to science, but I'm certainly no scientist. I have a Ph.D. in a social science, history, humanities field. And it's interesting that Isaac Asimov, who was a scientist, of course, he was a biochemist, but his greatest works also were not so much dealing with literal scientific theory as they were with the with the social impact. Let, let's talk a little bit about the writing, uh, because I know that you take great care as an editor in choosing stories in which the writing is uh, very good. I once heard you say that you could tell when you're reading a story for the first time, at the end of the first paragraph, whether or not the story is going to work for analog. Is is that true? Well, it, it's sort of tr it's truer than I ever expected it to be when I started out. A, a very good agent once shocked me when I first took over by saying that he thought he could judge a story by the uh, first paragraph. And I still haven't reached the point where I ever will judge a story by the first paragraph. But... I do find in looking back that it's surprising how often uh, when I reach the end of a story that uh, really grabs me and sticks in my mind that I can remember way back even in the first sentence having the feeling I'm in good hands here, I can just sit back and enjoy the story. Well, I guess that's both good news and bad news. I mean, it's good news because if a person has written a fine story, it will show through in the first paragraph. But I guess it's bad news to people who somehow slave away on the middle and the end of the story, which, of course, are important also. Uh, but uh, chances are, if it's not working up front, uh, it's not going to work. Now, you take an enormous amount of care as an editor in responding to stories, uh, writing out lengthy notes. And, in fact, in my experience, that's one of the most enjoyable things about being published in analog. In fact, although it's no pleasure being turned down, obviously, ever... Uh, it's also not an experience in which you, as an author, don't fail to learn something when, when you're the one who's writing the letter. Uh, so I assume you're still doing that and writing these, these lengthy uh, explanations about the various parts of, of the submissions? Well, yes, but I have to emphasize that I can't do that all the time. Uh, we, we do have form letters that we use for most stories simply because there are so many more submissions than vacancies in the magazine. I can literally only use about 1% of the submissions that I get. And uh, sometimes if I get something from a, uh, an author who I've been watching or where the story itself seems to be something that's almost what I want to use, I'll spend a lot of time writing a letter about that, just as you say. But uh, do the math. If I do that for some stories, it's not going to leave time to do it for all stories. Well, that, that certainly makes sense. But nonetheless, you do 
personally look at everything that comes in, unlike other magazines which have yeah, first readers. Absolutely. That, by the way, you know, I don't know if our listeners realize this is realize this is really an extraordinary thing in any kind of publishing. Most magazines, and certainly magazines on the level of analog, uh, have first readers, as they're called, which are well-meaning people, and they could be very talented, and I'm sure, in fact, they are in many cases, but uh, the result is you never know whether the editor, who is the one who will make the decision ultimately about whether to publish a story, will in fact uh, read it or not. How's Analog's uh, circulation doing these days? Is it... um it's still the leading uh, science fiction magazine, is that right? It's still the leading science fiction magazine. The uh, circulation isn't what it used to be or what we would like it to be, but then that's true of essentially all magazines these days. Uh, the uh, But the, the numbers are holding pretty steady at the moment, and we're still profitable, and uh, we're, we still have a very lively readership and uh, a good feedback going back and forth between the readers and the writers. Yeah, I remember that very well. Uh, Analog has a web page as well, right? What is it, analogsf.com? Analogsf.com, yes. And uh, that includes a reader's forum, though uh, at the moment the uh, reader's forum has been brought down by a spam virus, another (laughs) example of uh, science fiction becoming reality. (laughs) And uh, we... Hope to get it back up and running soon. But meanwhile, the rest of the website is still there, and uh, it has all kinds of other things on it, uh, such as a feature called Science Behind the Story, in which writers can uh, talk about all the interesting background they work out but couldn't find a way to actually work gracefully into the story itself, and submissions guidelines where uh, people who are interested in trying to write for the magazine can find out exactly how they should go about it. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Now, my experience with Analog was I sent you a bunch of stories, and I actually got some pretty nice rejection letters, so I I guess I got pretty close. I got past the point of, you know, getting the form letter. But I always remember the fact that it wasn't until you and I actually met at a Science Fiction Writers of America gathering uh, that it was shortly after that that you did publish my first story. And, and the sort of lesson I got from that is, although obviously it's the story that counts, there is something that is added when you, the editor, have met the author in person. W- would you uh, agree with that? Yeah, uh, somewhat cautiously. I, I don't want a people. I don't want anybody to think that you have to be a friend of mine to sell me a story. In fact, I reject stories from friends sometimes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you've definitely rejected a few of mine. So <laughs> I, I've, I've even rejected some of my own. <laughs> uh, but the uh, I, I do find that uh, whichever ever side of the desk I'm on, and I, I am still on both. I'm active as both a writer and an editor. Uh, I do like to know the people I'm working with on the other side of the desk uh, personally as well as just name. So it, it happened that in your case I met you before I started buying your stories, but it doesn't always work that way and it doesn't have to work that way. Sometimes I have been working with somebody for many years before I got a chance to meet. Matter of fact, I can think of one person who I have uh, been working with for well over a decade and I still never got a chance to meet him. But 
I'm still hoping for one because Anybody I do like I know? the people I work with. Uh, uh, Pete Madison. Okay, we have sure I've seen the name. Yeah. Do you feel sometimes maybe torn isn't the right word, but it sort of gets at what I'm thinking about? That as an, is is it hard for you to be an editor and an author at the same time? It seems to me that if I were an editor, I've, I've occasionally edited books, but obviously you, you know you're editing constantly. It might uh, get in the way of what I wanted to do as a writer, but obviously that's not the case with you. So what's your secret uh, when it comes well, to Well, uh, I, I think that they obviously do use somewhat similar energies, and they certainly both consume plenty of time. So I'm certainly not the most prolific writer in the world, uh, but uh, I do manage to find time to do some writing. I have a new book coming out next April, which happens to be nonfiction. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think they actually interfere, uh, except in the sense of competing for time and the same kinds of energy. But uh, I have a long history of having to slice my time up so I can use parts of it the way I want to. By the way, I can... Uh testify to the excellence of that forthcoming book because uh, Stan asked me to write a preface to it and uh, I, I, I enjoyed reading it and writing a preface. It's about how technologies very often have unintended consequences. This is uh, an issue I've been exploring for years, but Stan has taken it in a slightly different and I think uh, very useful direction, showing how technologies unexpectedly converge, two different technologies that were designed to do different things uh, and with with surprising uh, results. So uh, I highly recommend that book. I can never remember the name of it, though. What is it, Converging? The, the title features? is actually The Coming Convergence. The Coming Convergence. Uh, the surprising ways diverse technologies interact to shape our world and change the future, and it's due out from Prometheus in April. Good. Well, uh, I'll definitely put a note about it on the uh, the Light On Light Through webpage, both both now and in uh, in April. So, Stan, what do you see as the future of science fiction. Actually, and this is really a two-part question. One, the future in general. Two, the future for you. Where will we be, say, ten years from now? I don't think anybody really knows uh, because the uh, the field is in a state of flux now. Uh, One of the things that's happening to it is that uh, some of the things that used to be science fictional predictions have now become science fictional tools. Uh, for instance, uh, practically all writers work on computers now rather than typewriters. In fact, so many have become so that uh, publishers are no longer geared to working with people who submit typewritten manuscripts, and we literally can't afford to do it very often. And uh, some of the publishing itself is moving online. It's, uh, I think, highly likely that in another 10 years, a lot more of the publication will be online and new business models will be evolving to determine how writers get paid for their work. I think the shape of copyright is going to change. One thing that I don't think is going to happen that uh, some people have been saying will happen or has already happened for a long time is that science fiction is going to become obsolete because everything has already happened. Well, this is ridiculous. Uh, the, the world we're living in is uh, very much... The science fictional world as viewed by, uh, say, somebody in 1950. The uh, 
the world now is very much uh, tied up with the Internet and all manner of interlocking electronic communication methods. And uh, th these are changing the way we live. And I see no more reason to believe that things are going to stop changing in the future now than to believe that they did in the past. In fact, things are likely to keep changing faster and faster because not only are uh, individual fields changing rapidly, but uh, somebody sees somebody working in one field sees how to take something that's working in another field and put them together and come up with something brand new that neither one of them could have done. So things change even faster than you can anticipate, which is what the coming convergence is all about. Well, I agree with you completely. It seems to me uh, two things about that. One is, uh, over and over again, people have said, well, you know, we've invented everything that can be invented. I mean, the, the, someone actually said that literally at the end of the 19th century, that there was nothing much left to be invented. But, but then the other thing which sort of is similar to what you're talking about is, Every time you talk to someone, they always say something like, well, you know, a few years ago, it was a much more exciting field. It was a much more vibrant field. There were lots of new ideas. Now it seems everything's been written about. Everything has been done. And it always sort of occurs to me, uh, well, you know, five years from now, someone's going to be saying that about this very date. So I, I think you're completely right. Somehow we get... Um, used to what's happening and then we wrongly assume that that's everything that's that's the whole universe when in fact it's still just really the tip of a much bigger universe of possibilities right and so do you think are you going to continue uh being editor of analog for another five ten fifteen years i mean i certainly hope you do because you know you're really unique <laughs> I, I won't make any predictions about how long, but let's just say I have no immediate plans to leave because I'm still enjoying it and they're still putting up with me. Well, that's great. They're not really putting up uh, with that much, and it's, and it's great that you're uh, you're still enjoying it. Well, let me ask you just one last question. Um, is, is there a particular kind of story that you are especially looking for here at the end of 2007 going into 2008 so this is for my listeners who may want to send you the best thing that they can but if they knew somewhat more specifically what kind of story you might be looking for they'd be very appreciative well i sometimes tell people that the story i most want to find is the one that i didn't know i was looking for until i saw it uh, which means I'd like you to surprise me with either the idea content or the uh, what you do with it, or preferably both. But uh, to be a little bit more specific than that, I can tell you that uh, the, the things that, for me, define what analog stories are all about is that uh, there, there has to be some element of scientific speculation, which is integral to the story, which means that you can't take it out without making the story fall apart. And to some extent, you have to make it uh, at least somewhat plausible. Uh, now, people sometimes assume that this narrows the field a lot more than it really does. I think it leaves a very, very wide field. And uh, I'd like to see people poking out around the edges of what those uh, two basic limitations define. Well, that, that's good advice. 
Well, uh, listen, uh, my listeners, I'm going to leave you with this tantalizing uh, bit of information. Uh, it's, it's now uh, close to 1130 uh, here in New York City. Uh, in about an hour and a half, Stan and I are going to meet. I'm not going to tell you where, but what I will tell you is uh, we are going to have lunch in the place that served as the prototype for the Millennium Club in the plot to save Socrates. Now, I don't think we're actually going to walk up those spiral stairs and go time traveling, but uh, you never know. We can hope. <laughs> That's right. You never know. So if we show up like 100 years in the past or who knows when, uh, you'll have the inside scoop. Listen, Stan, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Hello, this is David G. Hartwell. I'm a senior editor at Tor and Forge Books in New York, and I've been editing science fiction since 1970. I've edited a lot of people over the course of my career, but I'm pleased to also be the editor of Paul Levinson. I edited his first novel, The Silk Code, and I edited his most recent novel, The Plot Saves Socrates, and all the books in between. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up With A Good Book says... Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. And let me thank Stan again for coming by for that interview. And I also should mention that Stan talked about the analog sf.com website that it was being subjected to some kind of spam attack but shortly after the interview stan told me that the site is back up and running at full capacity so if you have a chance go to analog sf.com you'll find a link to that as well by the way as to the uh, amazon page with stan's new book on the lightonlightthrough.com webpage. Well, I think I'm going to confine our flashes section to just one flash 
today. And that's about Journeyman, which I've talked about a lot uh, on Light on Light Through and also in LevinsonNewsClips.com, and I've been reviewing every episode on InfiniteRegress.tv. And there are three more episodes that will be shown on NBC this fall. And then the future of the show is uncertain, which is too bad because I think it's a great show. At this point, I think it's the best time travel series ever to have been on television, which means I think it is better than Quantum Leap and the other series as well. Now, I wanted to let all of you, my listeners, know that I have a contest going about Journeyman. It's a chance for you to win a copy of my novel, my own time travel novel, The Plot to Save Socrates, which you heard about in the ad that I just played for you. And in fact, you will have three chances to win a copy. What you have to do is tell me something that takes place in each of the next three episodes and email me that detail. And the first email I get after each of the episodes, that person will receive a free autographed copy of The Plot to Save Socrates. You can find out the exact detail on InfiniteRegress.tv. Just look for the last few posts on Journeyman. Or again, there will be a link for that on LightOnLightThrough.com. That's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code. For the Punk Horror Podcast. For the Ron Paul Podcast. And a new promo for a new podcast about journeymen. Listen, I had a great time talking to you. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world. Witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction. <laughs>
featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com. Hey there. I hope you'll come over and check out the Ron Paul Fancast. It's a really great place for people who are fans of Ron Paul and for people who would like to know why we're all fans of Ron Paul. For the most part, this show is a show of testimonials. People like you and like me who want to share why they support Ron Paul. I hope you'll come and join us at ronpaulfancast.libson.com. So you already know about podcasts. You may already know about NBC's new show, Journeyman. Well, my name is Troy Price, and I do a podcast on Journeyman, and I invite you to join me. Watch Journeyman, 9 o'clock on NBC, and then tune in via iTunes Tuesday morning for reviews and laughs about the previous night's show.